All right, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. And although we'll go to some other scriptures, we'll read some other scriptures during the message, we're going to stay primarily in Acts chapter 8. We're in a series called It Feels Like Home, talking about our new building. And the, the subtitle of the series is We're a Family. And what I've been doing is completing that statement, we're a family. Last week I said we're a family encountering God. We're a family that comes together and encounters God together. This week we want to finish that uh, statement with two words. We're a family enjoying life. Enjoying life. Now I want to give you some news that I hope you already know this news, but if you don't, listen to me very carefully. God wants you to enjoy your life. He wants you to enjoy your life. Look at the mountains. Look at the oceans. Look at the forests. Look at all of God's wonderful, beautiful creation that he created just for us to look at and enjoy. God did this. God wants us to enjoy our lives. And if you're a believer, listen, and you're not enjoying your life, there's a blockage. Because the natural Christian life is to have joy. Paul said he even had joy through persecution. James says, even when you fall into trials, it's joy. You can count it joy. There will be joy even in the midst of that. Another place, Paul said he had joy unspeakable and he was full of glory, and yet he was going through a very difficult time when he wrote it. He's in prison when he writes it. But he has joy that's unspeakable. Couple of verses before we get to Acts 8, Ecclesiastes 3.13. Every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. This is the gift of God. It's a gift of God. John 15.11, Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Here's what he's saying. Listen, I've told you all this, that my joy, the joy of God, will remain in you and that your joy will be full. You will have joy overflowing. You can't get any more joyful. You're full of joy. One of the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay, I want you to notice something about that. These are fruits that the Holy Spirit produces. You don't have to produce these. You just bear these. You're the display shelf. So you don't have to produce kindness. The Holy Spirit produces it. You don't even have to. Now, here's a biggie. You don't even have to produce self-control. That'd be wonderful if we could, but we have failed miserably at controlling self, right? But the Holy Spirit, it's one of his fruits. He just does it. You don't have to produce peace in your life. The Holy Spirit produces it. You don't have to produce joy. So if you're not living, if we're not living in joy... Is there a blockage? Is there a hindrance? Is there something that's choking out the fruit of joy in our lives, even self-control, even goodness? I believe there is. And I want to give you three blockages or three hindrances today that choke the fruit of joy, all right? And here's number one. You can go ahead and write this one down if you want. Number one, actions. Actions. Now, if you want to go ahead and put number two and number three and put the first letter A, you'll be correct. 
with number one actions. Now, let's read in Acts chapter 8, verse 9. And this is a story that you think, well, I don't know how he's going to get that out of this, but you'll see. Acts 8, verse 9. But there was a certain man named Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria. Sorcery being magic or witchcraft. Claiming that he was someone great. To whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest saying, this man, notice even what they say about him. This man is the great power of God. Wow. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries, his witchcraft for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them, they'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God." Repent, therefore, of your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thoughts of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness, we're going to come back to this phrase throughout the whole message, and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me that none of these things you've spoken may come upon me. All right, now I want you to notice what happens here. Simon's a new believer, but some bad fruit comes out of his mouth. I understand that he's a new believer, but basically he says, let me manipulate, let me, let me have some, buy this gift of God. And Peter turns and said, well, you're all mixed up. And he makes this statement to him. I see that you're poisoned by bitterness. That's verse 23 again. I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Now I want you to know this, bound by iniquity. Now when I say actions, I'm talking about habits or sins that we are bound by that choke joy out of our lives. If you have a recurring sin in your life, it will rob you of your joy. It will steal your joy. And the Bible calls it an iniquity. And let me explain to you what the word iniquity means. Iniquity actually is very close to an English word that we have, iniquity, in, here's the English word, inequity. When you think of the word iniquity, if you want to know what it means, it's inequity. It means something is not equitable with God. There is something in your life that is out of balance with God's nature and God's character, and it doesn't look like God. Now, here's the thing that I want you to know. Many, 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 many of us who are good believers, love God with all of our heart, have a place that's out of balance in our lives. And in that place, we don't look like God. And as a matter of fact, one of the ways to understand an iniquity is normally we can keep it pretty well concealed until we get under stress. 
And when stress comes, we're in trouble. It's like a pot of gold. And when you turn the fire up, the dross comes to the top. Listen to me. Here's what I want you to know, by the way. I'm telling you, you're all gold. You're gold. But sometimes when things get turned up, the heat gets turned up in our life, something comes out of us and we say, oh, where did that come from? It's probably a recurring iniquity, maybe even a generational iniquity that was in our lives. It's been a stronghold there for many, many years. And all of a sudden, when, when we get under stress, that's what comes out. And what's amazing is it's totally out of character to who we really are. It really is. See, now, let me, let me explain. This is what the devil would want to do. The devil would want to say to you, that's who you really are. In the dark, that person, that's who you really are. You need to understand and grow in your faith and say to Satan, that's not who I really am. Who I really am is a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But I've still got some areas in my life that I'm dealing with. Let me give you just a few that could be iniquities in, in a person's life. An outburst of anger. You know, a person seems great and all of a sudden they just go off on someone. I mean, they just, just get chew them out and just over the top. And you're kind of like, wow, where did that come? From. Well, let me tell you where it came from. It's iniquity. By the way, we're going to tie this back in a moment to bitterness. Most of the time, outbursts of anger come from a root of bitterness. Most of the time, that person is upset or angry about something in the past that he hasn't let go yet. So when he does have a chance to say something, he just lets go. Outbursts of anger, severe rejection, People that have severe rejection problems. It's actually an iniquity going back all the way to the fall of Adam. Severe rejection. Binding fear. A person who's really confident in everything, and all of a sudden some, there's some point in his or her life that just, just binds him more than anything. He just has this, this uncontrollable binding type of fear. Lust or pornography. All sexual sin. It is amazing how many Christians today have a sexual sin, a bondage in the area of lust or in the area of pornography. And if someone at work or your friends or your family knew what you did in private, it would be very, very embarrassing to you. Listen, what that is, is a bondage of iniquity. You're bound. And let me tell you what it does. Let me take this back. It takes away your joy. If you want to know, why don't I have joy? It's because of this iniquity that you're not allowing God to deal with in your life. Pride, arrogance, boastful statements. People make these over-the-top boastful statements. Lying, stealing. You ever, you ever have had a, a, someone, a believer, lie to you? And you just think, where did that come from? Okay, and it's not who they are, but it's a bondage. It's an iniquity. Think about this. David was a great leader. A guy that the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. And in just a matter of a few days, he commits adultery and murder. Totally out of his character. And when he's confessing his sin in Psalm 51, I don't have time to go through the whole thing. I'm actually just going to show you verse 12. He's going through a whole list of confessing. But when he gets down to verse 12, he makes this statement. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Now, listen, he did not say, restore to me salvation. I want you to understand, when you blow it, God doesn't cast you off. Your salvation is not based on your righteousness. Or you lost it a long time ago. It is based on his righteousness, and that's why we are secure in him and his power and his grace. But our joy, our joy is based on us allowing the Holy Spirit to produce fruit in us. And let me tell you, when the Holy Spirit is grieved, you know, the opposite of joy is grief. 
And when you read Ephesians 4 where the Holy Spirit is grieved, it says don't grieve the Holy Spirit, read the verses before and after. It's Ephesians 4.30. The verses before and after, the whole th- it's a whole list of sins. Don't let evil talking come out of your mouth. Don't let bitterness or unforgiveness be named among you. Da-da-da. He names this whole thing. So what grieves the Holy Spirit? Sin. What grieves us? Sin. What's the opposite of joy? Grief. Listen to me. When you sin, you have grief, not joy. It's that simple. You don't lose your salvation, but you lose your joy. Immediately you do. And here was the, here's what uh, he said to him. He said, you need to repent. In other words, you need to change the way you're thinking. The word repentance in the Greek is the word metanoia. Meta means change. We use it for metamorphosis, things like that. Meta means change. Noia means mind or the way you think. Please hear this. Repentance is not remorse. It involves remorse that you're sorry for what you did, but it is not remorse. If you don't change the way you think about lust, if you don't change the way you think about anger, if you don't change the way you think about rejection, if you don't change the way you think, your behavior will not change either. Your actions will not change. That's why I was so glad Pastor Bob Hamp on our staff released this book this last year, Think Differently, Live Differently. What an incredible title. Listen, if you, if you, you want to live differently, you have to learn to think differently. And by the way, if you haven't been through freedom ministry in Kairos, you need to go through freedom ministry in Kairos because you are dealing with some things that you don't even know you're dealing with. And you just keep seeing this bad fruit in your life. And if you let us, we will help you get to the root of it and chop it off so you don't have to deal with bad fruit anymore and let the fruit of the Holy Spirit live through you. So number one, actions. Number two, attitudes. Attitudes. This leads right into what I was just talking about. The way you think. Think about this. It says, verse 23, for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness. Poisoned by bitterness. Now, think what what an incredible thing. There's a revival going on in the city of Samaria. You can read up a little farther, verses 1 through 5, about this revival. People were getting saved. People were getting physically healed. People were getting set free. All this huge revival's going on. And then the, the apostles come down and pray for these people. And they begin receiving the Holy Spirit the same way in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit was first poured out. In Acts chapter 2, they're baptized in the Spirit. Now in Acts 8, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And all this wonderful, all these great things are going on. Listen, and Simon says, what about me? what about me? He sees someone else being blessed and immediately he thinks, what about me? What about me? How can I be a part of this show? How can I be seen? How can, how can I be exalted in this time? Now, I want to ask you a very, very straightforward question. When someone gets blessed, how do you feel? Truthfully. Oh, he won the lottery. Well, isn't that great? (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) Just think about it. Can I make a, a statement right now? You can be in a good, healthy church where people are being blessed and you're not blessed because of the way you think about it. You can be in a really good church and see people and hear of testimonies of people being blessed. I got all sorts of emails this last week. People came up to me in Guest Central last night saying, Pastor Robert, you said there was a blessing on the offering. I gave last weekend and on Monday. 
And I could share that, and some of you would think, it's not what happened to me. Can I make a, a statement that, you, are you okay? We're upset when someone's blessed, and the reason we're not blessed is because we're upset. Can I say something else? Can I say that again? We get upset when people get blessed, and the reason we're not being blessed is because we get upset. Listen to me. Your attitude can block joy in your life. Your atti- the way you think, and, and the main attitude that I want to talk about here is, he said you're poisoned by bitterness. Do you know the, the root word of a bitterness in the English, in the Greek, and in the Hebrew all have the same definition? And it's amazing because a lot of times we can't really do this with the English as well. But with the the Hebrew and the Greek, when you go to the root of bitterness, it's the same as if we did it in the English. It's very easy to understand. What would the root word of bitterness be? Bitter. Bitter. You know what the definition of bitter is? A sour taste. A sour taste. You say, oh, that's bitter, right? Okay, listen to me. Here's what happens. Someone says something to you or about you or someone does something and it leaves a bad taste in your mouth, right? You hear someone said something, you think, ooh, why would they say that? Ooh, that's bitter. Okay, listen to me. I'm going to tell you something right now that will save your life. When that happens, listen, spit it out. Let me say it again because that was better than you thought. <laughs> when you get that sour taste in your spirit, spit it out. Amen. It's poison. If you swallow it, it will slowly and painfully kill you. And there are people who have swallowed stuff 30 years ago. And it's still killing you to this day. And you're not enjoying life. And you're not enjoying life because you have poison in your system. Let it go. Let it go. A few weeks ago, I was watching Pastor Jack Hayford, one of our apostolic elders, and he was sharing a message at Church on the Way, the church he pastored for 30 years. While he was sharing the message, and I'm listening to it, the Lord said to me, let it go. He spoke to me about something in my own life that I keep replaying. You know how you keep replaying it in your mind? Hey, how you keep thinking about it over and over? Let me ask you this. Have you ever chewed someone out in your mind? And I know we're Christians, but you ever cuss them out? You know, in Texas, we don't curse them out. We cuss them out. Tell you one thing, I you know. When, when you re- keep replaying something in your mind, you keep swallowing it. Let it go. You're to forgive that person the way God forgave you. That God forgave you as if it never happened. As if it never happened. How can you replay it if it never happened? So just a few weeks ago, I'm listening to this DVD. Pastor Jack tells this funny story about something. It's very, very funny. And the Lord said to me, let it go. And I it's so good, I wanted you to, to hear it, all right? So I want you to watch the screen. Listen to this story about Pastor Jack. I'd finished speaking at the church on a Sunday morning. This is back about 1973, 74. And we were still, the church was in the prayer chapel. The church had begun to grow pretty strongly, and 
we probably this time maybe had a thousand, fifteen hundred people in the congregation, and and uh, so there'd been three or four services, and I'd hurry over to Burbank Airport to catch a flight to Portland, where I was speaking that evening. And the service was going to be at 6 o'clock, and the plane was to get in about a, five minutes to 6, but I wouldn't begin speaking till about 6.30. And the distance was something we needed to cover in good time. There was a car going to meet me there. And they'd arranged for me to fly first class because the configuration most planes at that time, and still some today, when you step through the door in, uh, getting on the plane, there's a, a clo rack right there, and I was going to hang my, my garment bag there, and I had a seat right there in the first class section so that when the plane landed, I could get a, grab the bag, be off and on my way before the tangle that sometimes it takes while they unload the plane because every minute was important. So my real motivation of time concern was well appointed, but uh, I'm not going to make that my defense. I'm just going to tell you it started off... I walked in and I was kind of excited. I had never flown first class before that time. And I would feel just pretty good about it, you know. <laughs> You're first class. And uh, so I didn't do that, but I walked up there. And I was going in and I saw the flight attendant who was welcoming you on the plane. And I turned to hang it up and all the spaces in there were full. There were at least 10 garment bags. 10 garment bags already. It was packed. And the flight attendant, sir, are you in first class? I said, yes, I am. She says, well, I'll take your bag for you and hang it back there. Hey, I've hung my bag back there, bag back there on my own a whole lot of times, lady. I know where it is. I didn't say this. I'm thinking this. But I'm in first class. And I thought, well, just, you know, I, I, I didn't say anything. I was a Christian. But I'm talking about inside. I was kind of frustrated. So I stepped around and looked. I thought, man, there must be a lot of people here in first class. There were only two or three seats. Anybody there? I, was, I thought, either each of them have three garment bags or she gave away. There's people sitting back there in coach that have my garment bag place. And I don't like it. Besides, I'm important tonight in one place anyway in the world. And I got to get there on time. And now I'm going to be hanging around here and... I sat down and I thought to myself, this is so noble, I love to tell it. I thought, you know, I'm not going to say a word to her. In first class, they had in those days, this doesn't happen anymore, there's a little folio that had even a few pieces of stationery, envelopes and paper, and it was right there staring at me. I thought, I'm going to write the president of the airline. <laughs> yeah, I, really, I'm thinking that. But just it, now think how noble this is that I'm going to tell you. I thought, you know, maybe, maybe the back, it's, it's, all, it's all the places back there are filled with garment bags or something else hanging back there. And there wasn't place and she had to put them up here. And I need to be considerate. Now, isn't that thoughtful? Who would have thought that other than just a very thoughtful, considerate <laughs> So I thought, but you know, I'm, 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 so I'm not going to write this letter without... It was still about 10 minutes till the plane took off. So I'm going to go back and check. So I start up the aisle. I just started to get out of the seat, and a voice spoke to me. You can decide who it was. I'm not kidding you. A voice spoke to me inside here. The voice said, sit down and let it go. 
I didn't hear anything, did you? I started up the aisle. I was about three or four rows from the back where I would be able to see where they hung garment bags and other stuff for coach back there. People had it. And there's no way in the world anybody could have known that seated on the aisle was a little, about four or five-year-old boy who's been drawing a picture on a piece of paper with a felt-tip pen, a black felt-tip pen. And that just as I am about one step away, he shows the picture he's made to his mother who's seated there. And it's logical that if this arm goes this way, this arm goes out this way. I had very light gray slacks on. And just as his hand goes out here with a felt tip, right across the front of my pants, one big black streak. And I look at that and I think to myself, <clears throat> I'm getting ready to write a letter to the head of the airlines. <laughs> the God of the universe took the hand of a four-year-old boy and just wrote me a letter right there. <clears throat> and I can tell you what it says. It says, sit down and let it go. Can I give you a word from God this morning? Sit down and let it go. <laughs> let it go. And, and obviously, Pastor Jack goes on to share some, but obviously some of us here have had much worse things done to us. Much worse. And it's very difficult to let them go. But I'm pleading with you as your pastor because it will kill you. It's poison. It robs your joy. And you can make a choice. You really can. Let it go. Let it go. Whatever was said, whatever was done, let it go. Let it go. And here's the last one. It doesn't take long. Number three, attacks. Actions, attitudes, and attacks. Attacks of the enemy. I've had times in my life, and you have too, when someone says, how are you doing? And here's what we say, don't we? I'm really under attack right now. I'm just under attack. But let me go back to something. Is there an open door for that attack? Because if there's an action, a sin, or an attitude, a way of thinking that we're not dealing with, it's like the enemy has an open door. And let me tell you, it's much more difficult to fight the enemy when he's in the house than when he's outside of the house. And if there's an open door and he's coming in through something that we need dealt with, it is much more difficult to fight. Now, I want you to notice something very, very important about this story. Peter says to Simon, you are poisoned by bitterness and you are bound by iniquity. He's trying to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. I understand he's a new Christian, but I want you to notice he's a Christian. He's a Christian. When this happens, he had believed and been baptized also. Here's what I want you to know. Is it possible to be a Christian and still be in bondage? Yes. We have it all through the Bible. So I don't want you to feel bad about it. I won't, don't, don't want you to feel like, yeah, but I should know better. We all need help. And Simon's response is the best response. It is the best response. Peter says to him, listen, you've got some stuff in your life that's really, really bad. You look at Simon's response. Then Simon said to him, pray for me. Pray for me. Now, you know what really burdens me? 
is when you address someone that has something in his life or her life and the response isn't pray for me. The response is, well, you've got stuff in your life too. He didn't argue. He said, pray for me. So please, if the Holy Spirit has put his finger on something today, please don't say, well, but let's say, Lord, deal with me. Deal with me. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? What open door is in your life? Do you still struggle with impure thoughts or thoughts of insecurity or inferiority or fear or rejection or anger or pride? What action or attitude is in your life that is giving the attacker ground? Let's do what Peter told Simon to do. Let's repent. Lord, I bring it to you. I ask you to forgive me. And Lord, I forgive so-and-so. And right now, in this service, today, in Jesus' name, I let it go. I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to have those conversations in my mind anymore. I'm not going to go through the details over and over and over again. And some of you may feel like, but the person really was wrong. I, I understand that. That's the whole reason to forgive. We don't forgive people who are right. We forgive people who are wrong. So they were wrong. Forgive them. Forgive them. Let's get that poison out of our spirits so we can enjoy. That poison will kill the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And then I want to give you an opportunity. I want us to be able to pray for you. I want you to be able to say to one of us, pray for me. Pray for me. I need prayer. And I told the altar ministry team, all the campuses, South Lake, North Richmond Hills, and Frisco, that we needed everybody on duty today that we could get. So we're going to try to have plenty of people here because I really think that many of us, we're not big bad sinners. We just got an area of our life that we need prayer in. So if you need prayer for any area of your life, no matter which campus you're attending, in just a moment, we're going to stand. And when we stand, there are going to be leaders at the front of, at each campus. You just come to one of the leaders and say, I need prayer. And let us pray with you and let us help you. Holy Spirit, I pray you'll draw every person that has any prayer need. In Jesus' name, amen.